me quitting my job and moving to Thailand. It's like, I'm terrified. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do this anyway. Um, and then finally you get a small set of, you know, people that will embrace the uncertainty. And this is where the most successful entrepreneurs thrive. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshovsky, and welcome to episode 34 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. On this episode of That Remote Show, I'm joined by Sean Ogle from LocationRebel.com. Sean has been an anchor in the location-independent movement for close to a decade after he quit his job in finance and moved to Thailand just two months later to build his online business. Since then, he has built one of the largest communities of digital nomad entrepreneurs at Location Rebel and has helped thousands of people start an online business. In this episode, we got to talk about why Sean quit his job and how another friend of the pod, Dan Andrews of Tropical MBA, gave him his first online job. We also talked about how Sean popularized Location Rebel and found his first paying customers, how he started his next six-figure six figure site, Breaking 80, how you can start a six-figure hobby site yourself, and why uncertainty can be an entrepreneur's best friend. You guys, this is a good one, but before we dive into the episode, I do wanna let you know about our sponsor for the show this week, Hunt Street Station. I travel to Detroit on a regular basis and I'm constantly looking for a place to call my work home. I've tried several different options and was finally able to find one this past trip that fits and that's Hunt Street Station located right across from historic Eastern Market. Hunt Street Station offers free parking, something that is not an easy thing to find in Detroit these days, and three floors of co-working in a building famous for being the first police academy in the nation. A Hunt Street Station membership comes with all the perks you expect out of a high-end co-working space like free coffee and tea, 24-7 access, free beer on tap, and even some things I've never seen in a co-working space before like discounted massages on-site for those extra hustle-filled days. And all this at a really unbeatable price of just $99 per month. That's it, $99 per month, and you have 24-7 access to a co-working space. Best of all, Hunt Street Station is offering a free five-day trial period for any new visitors. So if you frequent Detroit like I do or will be passing through in the near future, all you have to do is drop by Hunt Street Station and mention this podcast and you'll be all set with your new work home in Detroit. Thank you to Hunt Street Station for sponsoring this podcast. And before we dive in, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review if you haven't already. Uh, I may share your review on a future episode, so that's really cool. Also, shoot me an, an email at mitco at thatremotelife.com and let me know what you think of the show. I love connecting with you guys and would be interested to find out what you'd like to hear more of. You can find the full show notes and all the resources mentioned in the episode over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 34. That's episode all spelled out followed by the number 34. All right, you guys. That was a long intro, but without further ado, let's dive into this interview with Sean Ogle. All right. Well, Sean, welcome to the show, man. I'm super excited to have you here. Dude, it's my pleasure. Thank you for uh, for having me. Yeah, man. I'm I'm really pumped to have you on here because uh, actually when I reached out to you 
um, I wasn't joking that uh, kind of um, like mutual friends of ours, um, Travis Sherry and Jason Moore, referred to you as the godfather of location independence. Oh, the which joke I was just like, never will go away. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm pumped because that's, I mean, I've been, uh, you know, aware of your stuff for quite a while, but I'm excited to have the godfather of location independence on here. So uh, to get us going, what were you doing before you became the godfather of location independence? Like, take me back all the way to that time. Dude, I was so remarkably average. Like, (laughs) you know, average, white, middle-class upbringing, you name it. It was always, you know, I always followed the path of least resistance. So in sixth grade, I knew that I was going to go to Oregon State University. I was going to study business. I was going to room with my best friend. um, And that's exactly what happened. You know, ended up going to Oregon State within... Six months of graduating, I had a job lined up. I knew I was going to go to Portland. I was going to work in finance. I had the suit and tie. It was, you know, just always kind of doing what's easy and always what's expected of me. And that was my life up until, you know, the financial crash. And, you know, I started getting into, you know, the real business world and kind of was like, oh, this thing that I've been working towards for the last 10, 15 years, like, you know, it's not nearly as cool to wear a suit and tie every day as you think it is when you're in college. <laughs> so, right. Um, so, yeah. So, so why it's... why was that something that you always knew you were going to do? Like, in, in terms of going to school to study business, like, did somebody in your family go and do that? And you just, like, knew that, that was the path for you? Like, wh- like, why was that the thing that you always knew you were going to do? Because I wasn't smart enough to be an engineer or a scientist or anything like that. I knew one way or another, I knew I wanted to own my own business. I think that was mm-hmm. like the the crux of it. And when I went to school, actually Oregon State at the time, they had just uh, started an entrepreneurship program, but it was an entrepreneurship program or an, it was an entrepreneurship minor for non-business majors. And so I was super bummed because it was like, that's why I wanted to study business. So eventually I'd be able to do that. And I ended up choosing finance thinking that would be more difficult to learn than management or marketing or something that's more personality based. I was like, I'm going to pay all this money for school. I want to learn like the hard stuff. Well, in retrospect, accounting would have been the thing that would have actually been the most beneficial to owning my business. But, um, you know, my best friend, like that was, that was where he was going to go. Both my parents went to Oregon state. I grew up in Eugene, which is where the university of Oregon is. And, you know, if I had lived anywhere else, that's where I would have gone to school. But I just I needed to get out of the the town I grew up in. And so it was just, you know, that was kind of always the decision that was made for me. Yeah, I had a similar experience in college. Well, I mean, I dropped out. So not exactly the same experience, but I (laughs) always but I always knew I wanted to own a business. But I remember my dad once saying that you can't teach business or he had this thing that he was like, it's much better for you to know something and, and then like apply it to business. So I studied everything under the, under like the sky, I, like did art history, I did journalism, so on and so forth. So I think that's why I ended up dropping out. But so you studied finance, you got a finance job right out of college and yep. then the financial crash happens. How long were you actually in the financial industry before you didn't have a job anymore? I was in the finance industry for about two and a half years. So I graduated in July of 07. So peak of the market, um, went to work for a a small money management firm that worked for a big brokerage. They had like $200 million assets under management. And so I started day one, or actually I started three weeks before they made the move. So they basically went like Jerry Maguire style. They left their book of business on the table. They, you know, 
submitted a resignation, opened up the new business, got on the phone, started calling clients and said, hey, we want to bring you over. And that ended up kind of adding to the stress because like within months, like we started to see the economy collapse and everything happen. So not only were you trying to start a new business, you hadn't brought all your clients over. The people that did come over were losing money. So it was a very stressful time for everybody involved. And it was literally, it was the two owners of the company, our administrative assistant and me. So when you're working in such a small environment, you're, you know, more privy to, you know, just the perils of starting a small business in that uncertain environment. Yeah, what kind of like did you learn any business chops being around them that you were then able to like take with you to wherever you went to next? I learned a lot about what I didn't want in life. You know, I <laughs> what say was that? that? There was there was one period of time, it was one point in time where my my boss was super candid, and he came to me and he's like, "Sean," said two things. Um, he spent in the early '80s. He spent two years in a VW van with his wife or soon to be wife. Um, driving all over Europe um, as a ski instructor. And that's what he did. It's like, that was the best time of my life. Came back, started this business, and between like 1984 and 2006, he never took more than one week off a year for work. And I looked at it, I was like, man, that that sounds miserable. Like, that's great. You've built like this business and that's, that's awesome. But like, I don't know that I want that. <laughs> and so I learned a lot from him in terms of just really trying to figure out what I want. I kind of feel bad because we didn't end on the greatest of terms, but I also owe him a lot because at a young age, he helped me figure out, you know, what I, not what I want to do with my life, but he helped me figure out the the type of lifestyle I wanted and the type of business that I wanted to have. And so I, I think rather than like the hard business finance skills, it was kind of some of those things that are more lifestyle oriented that I really took away from it. So why did you like, did you decide to leave the job because you were just kind of like sick of it or like were you let go because of the financial crisis? Like like what happened there? Yeah, so there's a little bit of a story there. So by February of 09, the market had been cut in half. I had begged my boss for months to be able to use all of my vacation time for that year to go to Rio for Carnival. And so my best friend was going down there. Like we saved up. He finally let me do it. We went down there for two weeks. We went hang gliding over the city. We went down to Iguazu Falls, one of the seven natural wonders of the world. We danced in the carnival parade. Like it was the most unbelievable trip. And it was like that last day. Me and my buddy were like sitting on Ipanema Beach, drinking out of a coconut, looking at these girls in bikinis like by the ocean. We're like, dude, we should be able to do this whenever we want. And the day I got back... Um, my boss is like, Sean, super excited to see like your photos and hear about the trip. But before we go into that, just need to let you know, we're going to give you a 20% pay cut. And at this time, like I was still relatively new out of school. Like I wasn't making that much money. So to cut my pay by 20%, like it was like, I was making very little. Um, and so that was when I was like, okay, like this is just reaffirming the fact I need to make a change. So to make a long story short, a, a couple months later, I started what's now the Location Rebel blog. It was me going through my quarter-life crisis, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, um, kind of putting it out there and finding that there was a lot of other people that were going through a similar thing. Um, and then I had this great idea. At one point, my boss had come up to me. It was probably May or June. And he's like, Sean, if you can think of any creative ways to save the company money, I'd love to hear about them. And so I started thinking about that. I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm a smart guy. Like what can we come up with? My friend that I went to Rio with, three weeks after we got back, he quit his job. He moved to Hawaii. And he's basically like, I'm going to live in Hawaii for the next eight months. And then I'm going to take all my money. I'm going to go travel the world starting that following January. So I was talking to him like every day on my lunch break. And I'd be like, 
what do you do? What do you, like, what'd you do today? He's like, ah, I like, went, went surfing, then I went to the coffee shop and read for a while, then I went on the sunset helicopter cruise because he was working as a concierge for a hotel. So he was, like, doing all of the things that he would need to be able to explain to the guests, like, these are, you know, some of the fun things you can do. And every day I'd talk to him on my lunch break, and I'd be miserable and jealous. And so, finally, I went to my boss, and I said, I'll tell you what, I will take a 50% pay cut for the next three months if you let me work remotely from Hawaii, I'm going to open us up to a new client base. I'm going to make the company more secure and allow you guys to travel more as we figure out how to do this. You're not going to have to pay for my parking. You're going to save you know, the company money. It's going to be this great thing. And so over the course of the next month, we had uh, like three different meetings about it. Like, how are the logistics going to work? What are we going to do here? And it was like, I was really thinking this was, this was going to work. I was like, sweet. I'm the smartest guy ever. And a month later... They call me into a meeting and they say, Sean, we've decided not to accept your proposal, but we will accept this as your resignation. Whoa, that's heavy. Yeah. And so I was like, I was never planning to leave. I was like, literally, you asked me to get creative. I got creative where it's like, hey, this is a win-win situation. There's all sorts of benefits to you guys. I get some of the adventure that I've been craving because, you know, what ended up happening was I graduated school. I was supposed to take a three-month backpacking trip with my friends. Well, I got this job. So that three-month trip got cut down to two and a half weeks. And that was the first time I'd ever left the country. So I was like, oh my God, it was like just enough to get a taste of like, Mm -hmm. you know, the travel and the lifestyle and stuff. And so long story long, I had a chance to save my job. They kind of said, well, if you still had a job, would you want to stay here? And at that point I said, nope, I'm out. And they said, okay, you have 10 minutes to leave. And that was how it all ended. So when people say, did you quit or get fired? It's like, it was kind of a combination of both because I could have stayed. But anyway, um, and then I moved to Thailand two months later. Yeah. Okay. So perfect. <laughs> so there's jump a, lot, to that. a lot there. <laughs> yeah. So let's unpack that real quick. <laughs> so you moved to Thailand right afterwards. Two, you said two months later? Right. How? Like, why yeah. was that? Like, where did that come from? So I had been blogging at this point for about five, six months and had built up a little bit of an audience of people that wanted to do something different, maybe people that were unhappy with their own jobs, you know, whatever it was. And I wrote a post. And sorry to interrupt you. What exactly were you blogging about during this time? Like, Dude, I was blogging about the most random stuff imaginable. It was like, what to do when you don't know what to do? The benefits of daydreaming. (laughs) I was doing happy hours of the week in Portland, Oregon, which is obviously not a very global thing. Uh, I was writing about my trip to Rio. Like, I was, like, literally just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck and seeing what people were interested in, seeing what I was interested in writing about. Um, And so what ended up happening was I wrote a post called My Last Day where I basically kind of told the story of I'm I'm leaving and this is what it is. And a couple days later, I get an email from a guy that you know, uh, Dan Andrews, who Mm -hmm. at the time did not have the Dynamite Circle. He did not have, you know, the Tropical MBA podcast. It was known as the Lifestyle Business Podcast and had like two episodes. And those are some gnarly episodes though. Those early lifestyle oh, business. Yeah. They're, They're like great. Yeah. <laughs> and he basically said, Sean, I think what you're doing is awesome. Um I've got this random idea. I want to bring an intern out to Asia. I'll pay for your basic living expenses. Pay you eight hundred bucks a month. You work for me part time, I'll teach you online marketing, and the rest of the time you kinda have an adventure and do whatever you want to do. Um so I thought about it for a second and I kind of did a formal application or whatever. Got it. And then a couple months later, flew to Bangkok, 1 a.m., met this random dude from the internet at the Bangkok airport and ended up being the best thing I ever could have done. 
Yeah, it all sounds really legit. You met a guy on the internet who flew yeah. you out to Bangkok. <laughs> no, I flew myself. He would oh. pay me 800 bucks a month, but I had to pay for the flight. So uh, at the time, it was like, oh, it was probably like 10% of the money I had in the bank was this flight to Bangkok. And I was like, all right, well, hope he's not planning to like rob me or whatever, because I don't have a whole lot to, to give him. Um, were you, were you, afraid? were you scared? Were you afraid? Like, did you... Like, it sounds really easy now, but what were you feeling at the time? Yeah, I was, I I probably should have been more afraid. I was just excited. I was like, dude, I'm going to Thailand. I've never been to Asia before. I've got this, like, opportunity to learn and grow my blog. And I was basically like, look, worst case scenario, and this is what I fully expected. I expected. I go out there for six months. I blow all my money. I come back and I get a day job. Um, You know, and it ended up being working out well. My friend Ryan that I went to Rio with, he did start his world trip and I convinced him to start it in Thailand. And so um, Dan and Ian and Ryan, there's a whole group of people. Uh, We ended up going down to the Thai islands and hanging out for the first like two or three weeks. And I remember like every day I was like, Dan, like, I feel like we should be working. I want to get to work. He's like, dude, we'll have plenty of time to work. Like right now we're here in person. Let's have a good time. Let's get to know each other. And so for like two, three weeks, we just bounced from Island to Island partying and hanging out. And then he went back to the Philippines and he was basically like, look, you got a remote position. You can stay down here in the islands. You can go back to Bangkok. You can come meet me in the Philippines, like whatever you want to do. And so I went to Bangkok, got an apartment and was there for, you know, the better part of the next year. So what did you do during that year? Uh, you were working for with Dan and Ian in there yep. at the time they were they had an Amazon business, right? They were selling like like hard good products. Hard good pro- it wasn't on Amazon though. They had okay. like like a very like janky like uh Drupal setup that I still like <laughs> never quite figured out how to use Drupal. But yeah, it was like hard goods, valet podiums, cat furniture, key boxes. Um, and at the time it was funny because they would never talk about it publicly. Like it was like, no, we don't want anyone to know like what our like secret, you know, to success is. Yeah. So what were you, so what were you doing? Cause this is sort of like now you've been thrown in the fire, right? You come from a financial background, you're thrown in the fire to kind of learn how to run a business. So what were you doing for them and what were you taking from that to then apply to yourself? Cause part of the deal, right, was that you were going to go work with them and they were going to teach you what they do so you know there was a little bit there was certainly less hand-holding than i expected it was basically like look we need to improve our search rankings we need to grow our business so go spend 20 hours a week figuring out how to do that and if you need help or you need resources let us know so i spent a lot of time learning how to do seo search engine optimization at the time like it was a lot of like you know writing it was like basically doing like article marketing and things like that that don't really work anymore um, so I was writing a ton of posts about valet podiums and key boxes and cat furniture and stuff like that. But I was, it was cool because I could test things out and see what worked and then I could go back and I could apply it to location rebel and, um, you know, ended up working out pretty well. So I worked with them for probably worked with them for like two years. And then finally Dan was like, dude, like you can have a job here for as long as you want, but like location rebels taking off, like go focus on that <laughs> and we'll bring someone on board that, you know, doesn't have resources of their own to, to worry about. Um, and at the time it was scary. It was like, that was like the guarantee, the only guaranteed income I had. Uh, but it ended up being the, you know, kind of a blessing in disguise and the best thing you ever could have done for me. 
Yeah, that sounds that sounds very familiar because the way I got started was very similar to you. Started working for two guys who had an Amazon business. They were selling adult coloring books, and I was their first hire, so to say. And they brought yep. me on, and I literally for a year wrote blog posts about adult coloring books, which kind of gets <laughs> yeah. So so you said that. Dan essentially, Danny and just kind of like pushed you out at one point because Location Rebel was starting to take off. What exactly does that mean? Like, like what was happening at that point that made you feel or made them think that you could support yourself through that? I think it was mostly that I wasn't, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't pulling my weight with the stuff I was doing with them. It was like after two years of working on like, you know, cat furniture and key boxes, it's like, all right, like, you know. I've got more more of an opportunity over here with Location Rebel. Um, it was right after we launched Location. Actually, I think it was right before I launched Location Rebel Academy. So our and what flagship, is Location? What is that? Yeah. So essentially, it's a course in community where I teach people how to build small businesses that allow them to travel. So the goal is to get people to the point where they're making three to five grand a month, because once you're doing that, then it gives you options. So if you just want to go like quit your job and backpack around the world, you can do that. If you want to supplement your day job income with a little extra cash, you can do that. If you want to be able to support yourself while you, you know, grow something that you're really passionate about, you can do that. And so, you know, we're up to over, you know, just about 4,000 members from over 40 different countries and some unbelievable success stories. And so... It was probably a couple months before I launched that. I stopped working with uh, Dan and Ian um, and then actually ended up going to officially launch Location Rebel Academy in Bali where Dan was basically like, hey, I got a house out here for a year. Come on out. You got a room with your name on it. So I went out and spent like two months hanging with those guys and it was a really cool experience. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Location Rebel mostly focuses on like freelance writing businesses, right? Yeah, so there's basically kind of two paths you can take. One is freelance writing, and one is more blogging and affiliate marketing. Um, but I believe freelance writing is the best way for most people to get started because there's a huge demand for it. There's different levels of it. You know, there's basic SEO writing, and then there's very like high paying persuasive copywriting. And it's a skill that most of us already have. Even if you don't consider yourself the best writer, you still do know how to write. Um, so you don't have to worry about learning how to do web development or learning about SEO or things like that. It's something you can kind of jump into pretty quickly. So how did you find those first like members, those first people who are paying for what you're doing in Location Rebel? How did you find them? Yeah, so this was kind of crazy. So we launched um, our beta um, version July 26th of 2011. And at the time, like, there weren't really courses out there like that. There weren't courses that were teaching you, or not many, that were teaching you how to build an online business like this. And so I said, I'm going to sell it for $297, and I'm hoping to make 20 sales uh, over the course of, like, a week. If I make, like, even half that, I'm going to be thrilled. And so I had a little bit of an email list going uh, on the site. And so, you know, I had kind of been teasing it for a few weeks, and I put it out there. And within 48 minutes, I had sold out all 20 spots. Um, actually sold 24. I couldn't close the sales page fast enough. So I made, I think I made like $7,000 that day. And that was the first like big pop where I was like, oh, like there's something to this. There's demand for this. Um, and what's even cooler is I think almost half of those first 24 people are actually like, they don't have day jobs anymore. They, they quit, they started their own things and are doing something on their own. Um, and I know a lot of them have kind of said that Location Rebel was the push that, that got them there and kind of helped pave those first steps. 
So, so yeah. So to answer your question, most of it came from, you know, the blog and the email list that I built up. So I think, you know, a lot of people talk about not having a lot, like, you know, you said that you had kind of a small list, but what does that mean? Like how big was your list? Uh, because then I think that this tells a lot of people who may be just getting started, like, Hey, what's realistic, you know? So what was, what was the size of your email list when you, when you launched? Yeah, I probably academy? had like, I don't know, 3000, something like that. Um, I probably had a, a main list of 3000 and then I started in April. So two or three months before I started building a specific location rebel list. So once a month mm. I released a new video that kind of covered, um, one of the different aspects of what we would be teaching in location rebels. So one was about rapid skill building, how to build skills quickly. One was about job security 2.0 and basically why I think your relationships and your skills are more important to job security than the paycheck that you've got. Um, there's one other one in there as well. But we started releasing those, and to get those videos, you had to sign up for a special Location Rebel list. And so I think that was probably at 600, maybe. You know, my main mm-hmm. list was like 3,000, and it had like 600 on the Location Rebel list. So like I said, I mean, you know, it's not nothing, but it was certainly not huge numbers by any means. So what did you do next, right? You just made this awesome sale, right? It blew your expectations away. Yep. What's next? It sounds like, you know, you're like only, you know, you know, only good things can happen from here. So so what happened next? Yeah, so then that was in July and then I moved to Bali in September and that was kind of the beta launch. So I was like, okay, it's like if I'm going to launch this thing, do the like real launch, the big launch, I have to do it from someplace cool, Location Rebel. It's like all about working from anywhere. So I'm going to go do it from Bali. And I still remember stayed up till like 11 p.m. to launch it at 8 a.m. Pacific time or whatever it was and it flopped. Like literally I think we made like six sales in the first 24 hours or something. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, like maybe this isn't as easy as I thought. And then started kind of evolving and we ended up making, you know, more sales over the the coming couple weeks. Uh, But basically started continuing to get into the community, help people, you know, get as many success stories as possible. Continued to blog about the experience. Um, I was doing some YouTube videos in Bali, just kind of showing what the lifestyle was like of being a digital nomad. You know, it was back before it was the the hotspot that it is today. Um, Now it's like nothing but, you know, digital nomads or whatever you want to call them. Um, and so, so yeah, so the next couple of years were really just focusing on, you know, growing the blog, growing traffic, growing our membership. Um, I launched a course the next year called hacking the high life, which was basically all about how to create unique experiences that are win-wins for both brands and companies and yourself. Um, and then ended up rolling that into location rebel and said, you know what, rather than creating a new product every year, I'm just going to double down on this community, um, really focus on that. Cause it's a lot easier to sell one course that's a lot bigger and has multiple aspects than it is to have separate marketing funnels for half a dozen different courses. Yeah. I, I feel like community plays a big role in a lot of these, um, courses that, that seem to have, that, that seem to bring a lot of success. And I'm curious, you know, like, while we're talking, you know, even before we start recording, like we have quite a few like mutual friends. And I think that yep. even though it seems like the digital nomad location depends space is really big, it's it's actually really not that big. But you spent time with Dan and Ian from Tropical MBA over in Thailand and then you hung out with them and a lot of the other people that were passing through that infamous Bali house. And so what role did community play for you during that time and in and in building the, the business? You know, I think it was less 
about like specific tactics or mentorship or thing like that, but it was more just kind of by osmosis where it's like, you've got some of the smartest, you know, entrepreneurs in the world. They're kind of floating in and out and literally just being around it every single day. And every day you're talking about business. You're talking about ideas. You're talking about what worked, what didn't. And that's honestly like one of the big things that I miss in my life right now is, you know, now I'm married and I have a wife and I still travel and I still have a lot of entrepreneurial friends, but it's not like, it's not like that college dorm experience where, you know, everybody's fresh, everybody's excited, everybody's working on things. We had a similar kind of thing going in Bangkok as well, where there was a community of about two dozen of us that would work from the same co-working space every day. And then, you know, we'd go out to bars and whatever at night. And so I think that was the the big thing in Bali is just constantly having that motivation, constantly being pushed. If you had questions or something wasn't working, you had people you can bounce ideas off of. And that was, that was the most valuable part, just being around that community and those people that are all working towards the same thing because it just makes you that much more motivated and excited to work on your thing. So how does somebody fix that? Right, because I I feel that a little bit as well is that even though I'm location independent, I wish that I was surrounded by more people who were as well, which yep. is like an odd thing because being location independent should mean that you know you can kind of be wherever you want to be. So how do you fix that? Like how like how how are you fixing that for yourself? So there's a, a lot of different things you can do. You know, for years I had kind of my mastermind group, and once a year we would go take a week and we go someplace cool and we just hang out and you know strategize and plan and do things like that. Um, there's now so many different online communities that you can join that give you a certain semblance of that. I mean, that was why we created the Location Rebel Academy community, because now you've got 4,000 members that are all working on the same types of business uh, businesses from all over the place. Um, we've got little mastermind groups that have formed within that community. So people will meet once a week or twice a week or once a month or whatever it is and go through um, you know, their goals and have accountability um, you know, I think there's all sorts of opportunities, no matter what city or town you're in, there's, you know, people that are looking for this exact kind of thing. So being the one to, you know, say, I'm going to go to meetup.com or find the organizations. Like there's one called, um, SEM PDX here in Portland. So search engine marketing Portland, and they have a bunch of events and just taking the initiative to go to them and go network or whatever and meet the people that are around you. Um, I think all too often people think because they're trying to be a solopreneur that they should be doing everything on their own. But in reality, there should be nothing solo about it. Um, accountability is the single most important factor. And so finding whether it's an online community, whether it's like my friend Ryan, who I talked to every day when I was in my day job that pushed me to leave my job and travel and do this thing, or finding people in your local community that are building different types of businesses that you can get together with, you know, you know, periodically to, to talk about goals and things like that. So I think there's no shortage of finding that community out there. It really just comes down to taking the initiative to find it for yourself. And I think that's where most people fail. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's it's funny that like something that I've been thinking a lot about recently is choosing your location consciously, not because of where it is, but who is there, Yep. right? Because even though we're location independent, it's really important to get around the people that excite you and that you're going to learn from and and really take the location independence in a direction that you're going to grow from. So I think that the community is really important. Um, I want to take a quick direction change here because I know that, you know, 
while you were learning running Location Rebel, you also started another business called Breaking 80, right? Which was your golf site. Yep. Why decide to do that when you already have the successful website Location Rebel? Yeah, so this was 2012. I started Breaking 80. And, you know, what I kind of realized is that, you know, I'd you know, I learned online marketing, I learned SEO, I learned blogging, I kind of knew how to do all this stuff now and had some success with it with Location Rebel. So I was like, all right, well, let's take that and apply it to something that I'm interested in, which was golf, I was getting like really into golf at the time. And it, it the golf world at that particular period of time was lacking, like there really weren't many golf blogs out there, there weren't a lot of people that were talking about it, you had like Golf Digest and Golf.com, but you know, they weren't doing anything that interesting. And so I kind of recognize it's like, oh, like, I'm just gonna create the golf site I would want to read, because that doesn't exist. And as I was traveling a lot around the US, I started thinking, it's like, oh, I want to start playing some of the better golf courses out there. So I made a quest to play the top 100 public golf courses in the United States. And, you know, I did like a two week road trip through Wisconsin and Michigan. I played like 12 different courses that were on that list, photographed them, blogged them. And that started to help me garner a little bit of a reputation. And eventually that goal involved evolved from the top 100 public courses to the top 100 courses, most of which are private and are more difficult to get on. And then finally, now my real goal is to play the top 100 in the world. Um, and so in doing that with the site, um, you know, there weren't many people that were doing anything like that, that had good photos and had interesting stories. And so, you know, between coupling the fact I was willing to actually take a chance and go do this thing that most people would talk about, but no one would actually do. Um, and the marketing background, I started creating the site that, you know, ended up taking off and growing pretty quickly. What are your tips for people who want to build this sort of like, like hobby site, right? Because like that would be like the correct term for this is that you had a hobby that you then decides to, to, to turn into a business to a website. What would be your tips for those who want to do the same? You need to find a niche within a niche. I think that's the, most people go too broad. And to give you an example, when I started Breaking 80, um, I didn't even have a niche. I had an industry, golf. You know, there's so much within the world of golf. You know, you've got travel, you've got equipment, you've got instruction, you've got all of these different things. And I wasn't, you know, as one person who isn't that good of a golfer and doesn't have a whole lot of time to, you know, commit to it, I couldn't do all of those things well. So I said, golf's an industry. Well, then it's like, okay, I'm going to find my golf niche. So maybe that's golf travel. And I'm going to talk about golf courses and take photos of, of it and everything. Then I found my niche within a niche top 100 golf courses. So the very best golf courses in the world. And by focusing on that, I appealed to a much smaller demographic, but I also appealed much stronger to the people that were interested in it. So when you're doing like everything in golf, it's tough for people to say, oh, I really like this because it's too spread thin. Um, if you're doing golf travel, well then you know, you're going to find people that, you know, they're into these types of courses, but not into these types of courses. By focusing specifically on the top 100, I got people that um, were super passionate about it and super interested in it. And it gave me a very loyal following very quickly. And then from there, once you've got that base of loyal followers, then you could kind of expand out a little bit, um, you know, and continue to expand the brand. But because you built that trust with those early adopters, it made everything that much easier to grow later on. Mm. Can you explain, because I know that Breaking 80 
like Location Rebel, has a membership component to it, right? Yep. So how does the membership component of Breaking 80 work? Yeah, so it had been, it was probably four years after I started Breaking 80. Um, what had happened was I had started trying to play the top 100 courses in the U.S., top 100 in the world. And I was getting all of these people that were members of these like very exclusive top courses that were reaching out. They're saying, hey, Sean, if you're ever you know in the area, I'd love to have you out at my club. And so what I was doing was I was building this network of people that were at these exclusive places. And more specifically, these were not your typical country club member. You know, Generally, they were a little bit younger, a little bit more entrepreneurial, and they all kind of fit the same three criteria. They were members of cool golf courses. They like to show off their home club to people who would appreciate it. Uh, they like to travel and experience new places. And they like to geek out about golf on the internet. I guess that's four things. But um, So that specific person, I was basically like, I've now got this network of dozens of people that fit that criteria. There's got to be a better way to connect them because they would all benefit from knowing each other and turn it into a business for myself. And so I went out to 20 of the people that were members at some of the best places that I thought would be a good fit for this and said, hey, I want to start this, you know, this club, this golf society. I'll give you a free account for life if you help me get it going. And every sing- I think every single person I approached said yes. And within a couple months or like a month, um, it was active and people were excited about it. And I had a waiting list of people that I'd kind of like floated it out to. And so finally I was like, all right, if I'm going to do this, I need to create a sales page and start charging. So over a weekend I did that. And within 48 hours, um, after just two Instagram posts, we had over 50 applications. Um, and so now we're up to just shy of 250 members at some of the, the coolest places around the world. So what are the benefits of having a membership like this? Like, what is the What are the benefits of having membership as a monetization strategy? And how can somebody who's listening know if a membership component is something they can build into their business. Like, are there certain signs that you're kind of like, okay, this might be a good business that can employ and bring in uh, membership as a monetization strategy? Well, first off, I think that specifically membership and focusing on the community aspect of it is something that's underrated. Um, I think there's a, a big opportunity right now for like micro communities. Like look at Dan's Dynamite Circle. They've got like a thousand members of people that are specifically online digital nomad style businesses. Um, and they've created this um, community where, you know, even though kind of like we've talked about, it seems like the this community and the remote community is this huge thing. There's still a relatively limited number of places that you can go and get a lot of good information and network with people that are into it. So, you know, that was a, a huge success for him. And so for me, it's like, you know, how do you, uh, you know, create a community and find people that are interested in this same thing. It's like, it's not like if you go sit down on a bar, the chances are the person sitting next to you is not going to have that exact same interest. So I think that no matter what type of business you have, especially if you're kind of following this niche within a niche method, so you're targeting a very small group of people that are underserved, then I think there is a a chance to monetize it through a membership community. Um, And I also look at the fact that, you know, one of the big, not going to say mistakes I've made, but one of the things that I think that I could evolve to make a stronger business is with Location Rebel, it's a one-time fee. One-time fee of $497. Uh, So you have to continue to make sales and continue to bring people in. Whereas with the membership model with Breaking 80, it's $500 a year. So, you know, it's pretty great when I wake up and it's like, oh, I made $1,500 today uh, from someone that joined two years ago. Um, And it, you know, adds predictability to the business. So it's not only a benefit to the member who's getting 
access and getting um you know the ability to network with other people in a market that's underserved but it's a great business for me because it's got that recurring revenue aspect yeah that's something that's always been really appealing to me in a membership community like that is because really all you need to do is focus on making the product as amazing as possible and selling it once to one person right because then as long as you are staying on top of making that community, that product as, as amazing as possible, that person's going to stay in there and they're going to keep paying you year after year. So that's what's always been really appealing to me. I, but I, I think one of the issues though with that is that it doesn't take many people creating a community to almost make you feel like there's no space for you, right? Like, for example, in the digital nomad space, there's a dynamite circle, there's Location Indie that's run by, you know, our friends Travis and Jason, you know, there's yep. your community. So how does someone kind of navigate that and make sure that they're not stepping on any, on any toes? Or like, how do you feel about different people kind of communicating the same message? Like, well, what is your view on that? Well, I look at it, you know, and I've had, you know, I was one of the, you know, I had the Location Rebel Forum before Dynamite Circle, before Location Indie, like before any of these people. It's like I had the 80 Club before a lot of like people that have cropped up over the last couple of years with the golf stuff. I personally, I don't look at it as a zero-sum game. You know, it's mm. like Location Indie can exist and Location Rebel can exist and the Dynamite Circle can exist and someone could be a member of all three of those or just one of those. But because those are out there, that's not going to have a detrimental effect on me. If anything, by you know, bringing, you know, these ideas and these concepts more to the forefront, more people are going to be exposed to them. And that's going to give me more of an opportunity to reach more people. Um, I think also really having a strong sense of what it is you're about. You know, it's like that niche within a niche. Who is the exact person you're targeting? So with Location Rebel, I'm looking for people that want to build a business that allows them to travel and make three to $5,000 a month. I'm not prom like Dynamite Circle is a little bit more high end where it's like, you know, it's like, you know, we're targeting, you know, people that are, you know, making, you know, have larger businesses or have six figure businesses or things like that. Um, you know, with the golf stuff, it's like those three criteria I talked about, like to host, like to travel and play new places, like to geek out about golf on the internet. And that's different than any of the other forums in the golf world. So I think the way you make, make it a success and the way you don't have to worry about comp, uh, competition is just really understanding what is the unique value that you're bringing that nobody else is or can bring to the table. Mm. How have you had, have you experienced trouble juggling both businesses and what are your tips about? Cause you hear everybody say, focus on one thing, focus on one thing. Yep. What has been your experience with, with, you know, juggling the two businesses and what are some of the difficulties or positives of that? It is my biggest struggle. It is the hardest thing about what I do is managing these different things because not only do I have those, like I've had some like, you know, freelance, you know, marketing and copywriting stuff that I've done in the golf space. I've got a new cocktail website as well that I've been working on. Um, it is extremely difficult and I'm not going to pretend like I figured everything out because I certainly haven't. Um, and it's the thing that I'm wrestling with currently. It's like, do I, you know, focus on just golf or just location rebel, or do I hire more people to help me with it? But I will say the thing that's worked the best for me, there's kind of two things. One, it's always at the end of the day, 
having a to-do list for the, I call it my top five, the five things that I have to get done tomorrow. So when I sit down to work, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I put the critical time into thinking about, is it going to be Location Rebel? Is it going to be Breaking 80? And, and what has to get done? And then along with that, you know, kind of time blocking where, you know, I try and do a pretty good job of saying, even if it's not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or it might be saying, okay, for this four hour period of time, I'm doing these posts for Breaking 80. And then for this two hours, I'm going to be working strictly on the Location Rebel community or whatever it is. And, you know, between coupling it with my top five and in my calendar kind of saying, hey, these are the blocks of time I'm going to be working on each thing then it allows me to switch gears effectively knowing that I've properly prioritized the things I need to be working on. When I slack on that, when I haven't time blocked things in my calendar, when I haven't done my top five, I wake up in the morning, I sit down at my computer and it's like, huh, oh, what should I do? And then I usually end up doing nothing and just kind of spin my wheels. And so, you know, I think really having a solid understanding of your productivity habits is essential if you're going to do two different things. And honestly, I would tell most people that the most successful people I know, they focus on one thing and they grow that, especially with these types of blogging or hobby businesses. So that would be my recommendation is if you can, don't start multiple things because you'll end up being a victim of your own success. I had you know, Location Rebel and Breaking 80 was just this kind of random side project. And now they're both full-time jobs that aren't getting full-time attention. And that's, even though it's great, I've got businesses and industries that I love and I'm excited about it and I love working on them both. I'm doing both of them a disservice because they're not getting the attention they need. So if that's the case, why start a third site on cocktails? Eh, I don't have a good answer. Basically, the 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 answer I the true answer is I've got this very stupid random goal. I'm trying to go to the top 100 bars in the world. So I've now been to 59 of the top 100 bars in the world. And so for me, it's more of a posterity thing. It's like once I'm done with this or as I'm working through it, it's like I've had all of these really cool experiences and met all these really cool people. And I've got these photos from all these things. Um, 20 years from now, I want to be able to look back and be like, oh, like this is look, – look at that. That was cool. Like, And I want that for myself. And so I haven't even – for the most part, I haven't really talked much about it. haven't publicized about it. I haven't told my list about it. Um, if nothing else, it's just kind of my personal journal right now. But – I don't start anything like that without having ideas for how it could be monetized or could turn into a business. And it's the same thing. It's exactly how both of my other businesses started. So Location Rebel was never going to be a business. You know, I just was, like I said, going through my quarter life crisis and writing about the things that were interesting to me. And then eventually it turned into what it did. Breaking 80, I said, I'm not going to worry about making money for the first two years. I'm just going to build the site that I would want to read. And it wasn't until four years in, we, you know, really, you know, took off with the monetization with the you know implementation of the club and so uh my new site it's essentially in the same spot where just like you know what i'm just gonna write about it and we'll we'll see where it goes is it the right move from a productivity standpoint absolutely not and it's kind of one of those like you know your parents say like do as i say not as i do moments um but i'm also like be totally candid like i'm in the position where a lot of my income is relatively passive i could not work on breaking 80 or i could not work on location rebel for two months and still have a certain level of income so i'm afforded the opportunity to be able to say okay like you know i'm going to take five hours a week and i'm going to work on this new thing and do it just because i enjoy it not because of any other reason yeah, this is something that came up when I was talking to Matt Giovinisi for this, who I also know is, is a friend of yours, um, because he has this wildly successful website, Swim University, 
yet for whatever reason, he is compelled to go do other things. And what he said in that interview was that the reason why he was able to focus on Swim University for 10 years now is that he allowed himself to leave and do something completely different and then come back. What he said was like that if he had only told himself, all you can do is swim university, he probably wouldn't have been as successful with it because he wouldn't have been able to go as long with it. And I think that maybe that's something in the entrepreneurial disease gene that you kind of need to like let yourself do what you shouldn't do and go and scratch that itch so then you can come back. What do you think about that? I think that's a great point because it's one of those things where, you know, I've had periods of time over the last, you know, five years with both Breaking 80 and Location Rebel that I've just been burnt out on it. It's like I've written hundreds of articles about golf courses. I've written hundreds of articles about, you know, how to build a business online. And eventually you're just like, I just need something different. I need I need to do something that's interesting to me. It's like I know Matt's not necessarily super passionate about pool care. <laughs> he doesn't even have a pool. Um, but him being able to go and talk about coffee or brewing or, you know, all the money lab stuff like that gives him the opportunity to do the things that excite him and then go back and take what he's learned and apply it to swim university, which kind of can make it a little bit more exciting, a little bit more interesting. So it's like, for me, like when I get burnt out on location rebel, it's like, cool, I'm going to go work on golf stuff or, you know, cocktail stuff or whatever it is. Take the things I've learned, take that step away and go back and apply it with kind of renewed vigor and excitement. You know, this is kind of what's happened in the last year. I started in December of last year uh, with YouTube again. And now I'm doing like two YouTube videos a week. And that's been like the, one of the biggest, you know, drivers of traffic and sales this year. Um, but it was me basically saying I'm burnt out on location rebel right now. I need a change. I'm going to go focus on just shooting videos that excite me and like getting, scratching that itch, that thing that's kind of exciting to me. Um, and that's allowed me to come back and, you know, be more excited about what I'm, what I'm doing there. So, um, it's a tricky subject because strictly from a productivity standpoint, one thing is the right thing, but also like to your point, even though I said the smart thing is just to do that, I, I don't think I would have been as successful with any of them if I was forced to focus on it. I think I would have gotten burnt out a long time ago and it would have, uh, it would have struggled because of it. Yeah. I think that, I, I think you're right. I think there's just no one good answer because then, you know, you have people that say, pick one thing. And you take it and you work on it until your fingers bleed and, you know, you are determined to take it to success. While then you have other people like Peter Levels, who is the founder of Nomad List, who literally for a year said, I'm going to swing the bat 12 times and hope that something connects throughout this year. And he just so both of those things have worked. So maybe it's something about you picking the right path for you based on other people's advice. Yeah, I think it's it's such a personal thing. I think a lot of it comes down to what type of person you are, what your personality mm-hmm. is, what the thing is that gets you going. For some people, the thing that gets them going is just being able to throw a bunch of stuff on the wall and try a bunch of different ideas. You know, let's go wide. You know, for other people, the thing that gets them going is to go super deep and get into all the intricacies and tweak all the levers and tweak all the knobs. Um, and so I think you just kind of have to recognize like where your interests lie and where your skill sets lie. You know, for me... I'm really good at getting businesses from like that zero to a hundred thousand, maybe 250,000 standpoint. Um, I'm not necessarily great at scaling beyond that. And part of that could be because my attention's always been fractured, but you know, it's exciting to me when you can see a new site go from zero to a hundred thousand dollars pretty quickly. And it's like, okay, well I know how to do that. 
So I'm going to go find a niche that I love and I'm passionate about, and I'm going to go do that over there. Because for me, it's also not just about the money or the business. It's about the access and what it gives you to build a brand in these industries. For instance, you found me through kind of Location Rebel and knowing, you know, Trav and Jason, and it's because I built my reputation within that kind of location independent space. You know, now I've built a name for myself in the golf space and that's afforded me access to things I never should have had access to, whether it's exclusive courses or people or experiences um, that just kind of continue to blow my mind with like, wow, like I should be paying you to do this. <laughs> so it's not strictly just about the business for me. And I think that's the case for a lot of the people that have these types of hobby businesses or remote businesses or solopreneur businesses, whatever you want to call it. Hmm. So as the godfather of location independence, who's now been doing this for 10 years and has been around since the very, very beginning, what are the benefits of location independence? Like if somebody's listening to this right now and is in that position that you are in, in your finance job, what would you say to that person? Like, why should they do this or should they even do this? I'm not saying everybody should do this because it's, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty that goes along with it. There's a lot of fear. You know, if you're not like a self-motivated person, then you're not going to, you know, you're going to struggle with this. But the the flexibility is one of the biggest things. You know, when, you know, someone calls me up, like literally I got an email this week being like, hey, we want to bring you down to Pebble Beach for a charity golf tournament. We're going to pay for everything for four days. You're going to play all the best courses like down there. Um, but you got to leave in like five days. It's like, cool, I can do that. Let's go sign me up. Um, that type of flexibility, you just, no matter, even in the most flexible kind of day jobs, like you don't really get that. And so I think that's one of the, the biggest things. Um, I think also the ability to say whatever I put into it, that's what I'm going to get out of it. You know, when I was at my day job, it was like, you know, I work my butt off and then not only do I not get a promotion or a raise, I get a demotion. You know, I get 20% pay cut here. It's like, I know it's like, if I put in 40 hours, 60 hours, 80 hours, like the successes of that are going to, you know, come back directly to me. And so knowing it's like, you know, Hey, if you want to make more money this year, cool. You know how to do it. Go work on this and work harder and be smarter about it. And so I think that for a lot of people, that is the the biggest motivating factor. Um, and that's obviously not without risk, especially in the first six to 12 months. Like it can be really difficult to get over that hump where you say, okay, I'm going to start this thing and eventually it's going to be successful. But there's a lot of ups and downs and roadblocks that can you know hit you before you get to that point. And that's why most people fail. They get Three months in, they get past the honeymoon phase, they hit their first stumbling block, and then they say, okay, well, I'll put that aside for a few days, and then they just never come back to it, and they stick at their day job. Yeah, I, I that's also something that I didn't recognize when I was getting started, right? Because I there's that chart, I'm sure you've seen it, like the, uh, what is it called? It's like the the path of the entrepreneur, right? Where there's like the excitement curve and then there's like the, the, the pit of despair or whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> and I've lost so many businesses that were so many good ideas in that pit of despair. And then I saw that graph for the first time. I was like, oh shit, like I just got caught, you know? All part of the process. Yeah. So now that I recognize it, and I even said this to, to Sarah, my girlfriend recently about a project that I'm working on. I was like, man, I'm just in the pit of despair right now. And I yep. just need to walk myself out. So I think that it's really important to kind of get a couple of repetitions in and learn it. Um, so what's 
what's next for you? You know, you've been doing this for 10 years. What are you looking forward to in the next 10 years with, you know, yourself and whatever you want to do personally or with Location Rebel and uh, new ideas? You know, that's a really good question. And this is like, I'm actually like right in a period between now and the end of the year of really starting to think through, because this like, this was like my 10 year anniversary. I literally just last month, it was the 10 year anniversary of quitting my job. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And so that's been a question I've been asking myself a lot is like, what do I want to do? Um, I'm the epitome of someone who's built lifestyle businesses. So it's like full on like solopreneur. I've got one part-time community manager that helps with a bunch of stuff with Location Rebel. And that's about it. So I think, you know, moving forward, I think one of the the things that I'd like to do both with Location Rebel and with Breaking 80 is, you know, do, do more collaboratively. I've spent so much time, you know, in coffee shops, in my home office, just by myself, um, the idea of working with other smart people to do things on a little bit of a bigger scale, like that's something that's exciting to me right now. Um, I think there are a lot of opportunities with that, with the, the golf business. Um, frankly, I think there's a lot of potential opportunities with that in the cocktail space as well. Um, and do you mean like bringing you know, on team members, like, um, like employees or what is it, do you mean? Not necessarily employees, but potentially like partners. Um, you know, there's, um, you know, I, I am more excited about finding someone that has skin in the game and someone who's got a stake in it that we can work on collaboratively collaboratively that has a different background than me. So maybe it's bringing on like um, someone with a technical background to build out an app. Uh, Maybe it's bringing on someone who's got investor connections to, you know, potentially take funding for something. You know, maybe it's bringing on someone who's a golf pro to actually like create more of a traditional club aspect to our club. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways you could go with it. Um, you know, with Location Rebel, maybe it's doing a, you know, physical event or a conference or something along those lines. Um, you know, I think there's there's a lot that could be done. And for as much time as I've spent by myself, I realize just how much I do enjoy that community aspect. And so I think that's where, one way or another, I think that's where things are going to go. You know, just you know, possibly having some employees and people working for me and making, freeing up my time so I can work on some of these bigger picture ideas, uh, but looking for, you know, partners for the right things that have complementary skill sets to me. What about the industry? Where do you see online business and location dependence going in 10 years? I think that it's, you know, kind of going back to that idea of the micro community. I think there's, we're going to see more of that. Um, You know, personally, I think, you know, obviously, um, information is everywhere now, you know, it's like all the, any of the stuff I teach in location rebel or just about any other course out there, you can find it for free. Um, it's all out there. You know, the benefit is you get the accountability and you get it all tied up in a nice little bow and it's just step by step, which that's hard to find for free. Um, but I think because information is so prevalent, um, we're going to stop seeing people that are just leveraging that information for their courses and things like that. And it's going to be on the accountability aspect or the community aspect or the connections and the network. Um, and especially when you find those underserved niche within a niche uh, is um, that's when there is a big opportunity for you to bring, you know, bring these people together. So I see that being a big deal. Um I see the age of the influencer evolving a lot. You know, it's like we've seen all of these people that have cropped up as Instagram influencers and they're famous just because they have a bunch of Instagram followers. I see that dying off with the brands that I've talked to. Like so many of them have not seen um, much in the way of results from that. Um, So I think that's going to change. 
So it's going to be interesting. Um, I think that we're kind of on this cusp of, you know, change where it's like, okay, now like it's so easy to create an online business or a website. Um, you have to have more of a unique idea and you have to do something that's going to stand out. And so I think we're going to start seeing content and marketing make a shift to, you know, doing things that, you know, are a little bit more unique that we haven't seen before. Yeah. I think it all sounds really exciting. And, and um, I'm really pumped to see where it all goes, but as somebody who's just getting started in many ways, I'm also kind of fearful, you know, like it's always, it's always easier to look back and say, man, I wish I had done this in 2015, you know, because it was so much easier. But I think that that's always changing, you know, like I'm sure that when you were getting started in, you know, 2011 or 2010, like you were like, man, I wish I had done this in 2005, you know? Oh, hundred percent. But this is, um, I look at it as the three phases of uncertainty. So I tell people the only fear in the world, the only thing anyone is afraid of is uncertainty. You're not afraid of the dark. You're afraid of the uncertainty of what's lurking in the shadows. You're not afraid of a spider. You're afraid of the uncertainty that happens of whether or not the spider is going to bite you or what happens if the spider bites you. And so as entrepreneur or, you know, most people, uh, they'll spend, you know, call it 95% of people, they'll spend all their life in zone one, which is fearing uncertainty. It's like, that's terrifying. I don't know what's going to happen. So I want nothing to do with it. I'd rather be, you know, comfortable than and unhappy than have to kind of like go to the outer reaches and explore what that uncertainty looks like. Now I've got a smaller set of people that will embrace or uh, overcome the uncertainty. So that's like me quitting my job and moving to Thailand. It's like, I'm terrified. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do this anyway. Um, and then finally you get a small set of, you know, people that will embrace the uncertainty. And this is where the most successful entrepreneurs thrive, where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen, so I can make anything I want happen. And I think that's where the people that do that and they get to that third step where you're kind of saying, it's like, yeah, I'm just getting started. I don't know where things are going. I wish I had started in the past, but because we don't know where things are going, that gives you the opportunity to say, cool, I can make anything I want happen because, you know, there is so much of that uncertainty in the future. And you look at that as a positive thing as opposed to a negative thing. And that's, that could be an entrepreneur's greatest asset. Wow. I, I love that. I've never heard that before. And, um, I can't think of a better way to start wrapping stuff up because, I mean, I need to think about that a little bit. But that was, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, <laughs> I'm really glad to have had you on. If uh, people want to connect with you somewhere, where can they find you online? Man, they can follow me, find me all over the place. So at Sean Ogle, S-E-A-N-O-G-L-E on both Twitter and Instagram. LocationRebel.com for, you know, all the business building stuff. Breaking80.com with 80 spelt out. And for anyone that is into co- cocktails, uh, the cocktail website's called Slightly Pretentious uh, because you can't I be like into it. something like that without being just a little bit pretentious. So slightlypretentious.co. <laughs> um, Love it. But Love it. Well, brother, thank you so much for stopping by. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with everything, man. Dude, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you and uh, appreciate you having me.